Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Well, we'd like to start our meeting tonight and uh, uh, praise the Lord. And uh, just to uh, mention briefly, in the first message, we saw that when Paul came and addressed all the issues they had, praise the Lord. In, in what was it? First Corinthians 2, 2, he says, for I determined not to know anything among you except Christ Jesus and this one crucified. So we saw how in the midst of all those problems in Corinthians, he opened up 20 wonderful items of Christ. And the first five in message one is what? Christ is our portion. Again, Christ is portion. Secondly, Christ is our wisdom. Christ is our righteousness. Christ is our sanctification. And Christ is our redemption. In message two, we saw Christ is our Passover. Christ is the unleavened bread. Christ is our spiritual food. You got food, what do you, next do you need? Spiritual drink. And Christ is our spiritual rock. And in this message, we're going to see, I think, oh, I should know, seven points. Christ is the second man. Christ is the life-giving spirit. You can look at the outline there. Christ, last Adam, life-giving spirit, the Lord of glory, the depths of God. And what else? Christ is the power of God and the first fruits of God. And tomorrow we're going to see the last three. Christ is the head. Christ is the body. And Christ is the unique foundation. So we're hoping that some of you already volunteered to say these 20 items in the order according, not like I did it, according to page 18. So praise the Lord. So yeah, let's go to... uh, Page, uh, y'all's page is 33. And let's just read the title there. And uh, yeah, let's read. Let's go together. And let's read 1 Corinthians 15, 47. You know, this verse is amazing. I, I, I never had a much appreciation of the second man until I get into this matter. The first man is Adam, who is earthy. He's from the earth, is a source, and his nature is earthy. And the second man here is Christ. He is heavenly. Second man is out of heaven. And uh, so we have to realize that in God's view, Point of view, he only sees two men. He sees all, the, the first man, Adam. He's the head of the human race by creation. And he sees Christ as the head of the new creation in resurrection. In God's eyes, that's what he sees. We come from different backgrounds, different countries. Just look at your neighbor. Different colors. Even if you're an American, you may not even know what blend are you. Like my wife, she, she knows for a fact that she comes from England. And she was so concerned to find out, where do I come from? And she eventually got me to do a DNA testing, which I was surprised it came. And yeah, it does say I'm Native uh, American, like from Mexico, and I'm uh, Span- from, uh, from Spain. I knew that. That's the mixture of the 
uh, Mexican-American, but I was surprised that 19%, but still, it's not accurate, I'm either from Greece or Italian. I was shocked. I thought they were not going to find none of that. But, you know, <laughs> even though we know for a fact, you may know you're from China, you're German, or you're a blend, or you're a mix, whatever, in God's eyes, he just sees Adam. Just the expression of Adam. God is concerned that we will be in Christ. You know, I have here in 1 Corinthians 15, 40, 22, it says, For just in Adam all die. Another thing we have in Adam is we just have death. So also in Christ, all will be made alive. So through our believing in Christ, in resurrection, he made us alive. So which man are you in? Where are you? Christ. Where are you, brother? Ben. Christ. I didn't hear that well. Christ. Christ. Where are you? Where are we? Let's all stand up and say where we are from. Christ. Which man are you in? Christ. Okay, y'all may be sitting. So through our believing in Christ, we were transferred out of Adam into Christ. And secondly, we need to be baptized. That's why I have this verse in Romans 6, 3 through 4. Uh, the verse is not here. I'll read it. Are you ignorant that all of us who have been baptized into Christ have been baptized into his death? So through our baptism, we're baptized into Christ. You know, we were born in the sphere of Adam, the first man, but through baptism, we have been transferred into the sphere of Christ, the second man. Like today we witness, I don't know the exact number, 16 got transferred out of the sphere of Adam into Christ. And tomorrow there's still an open uh, uh, door. There's still a chance. If the Lord is working on you, you want to be baptized, you'll be transferred into the second man. And um, anyway, praise the Lord. Well, let's move on to point A. Read the title and the verses, Genesis 1, 26 through 27. All together, go. So here we see, okay, what's, what's, what is God's intention with the first man? And uh, just in these verses, it said, well, here we see that when God created man, he didn't create a, a singular person. But in God's eyes, it's a corporate man. And here it says, let us make man, which is singular. And then it says, in our image, after a likeness, and let them. That's plural. Let them. So in God's eyes, he created a corporate man. And, and then it says here that we're created according to his image and likeness. That means that inwardly, we're created just like God. God has an intellect, a mind, an emotion, and will. And we're created in the same fashion. 
This is why we have a soul life. We have an intellect, emotion, and will. And uh, whose image is that? Well, in, in uh, Colossians 1, says, who is the image of the invisible God? The who here is Christ. Can you believe that? I still, I'm still going bananas inside. It's crazy how we're created in the image of Christ. The animals were made according to their kind, but when he came down to man, we were created according to the image of Christ which is the image of the invisible God. And, uh, and then in Genesis 3, 7, I'm going to eat this. Uh, oh. I guess the covers. Um, yeah, let's read that verse together. Genesis 2, 7. Amen. So here show says that when he came to create to form us, we're from from the dust of the ground. That's our body. And he breathed into our nostrils. The, the breath there in Hebrew is the same word used in Proverbs 20, 27. That says that talks about the spirit of man. So God put this spirit in man and then man became a living soul. So that's why having parentheses, first Thessalonians 5, 23. I think most of y'all know that from memory. What does it say? God himself sanctify you holy, and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we're creating three parts. Um, I'll make it bigger. I guess I noticed from a distance you need to make it stronger. I don't know if y'all can see that. We're made in three parts. Praise the Lord. Um, it's still hard to see. Uh, still weak. Still. Anyway, praise the Lord. <laughs> God created us in three parts. Amen. With body to contact the physical realm with our soul life, which matches like his. We're made in, in Christ's image, inwardly and outwardly. And then our deepest part is our spirit. And uh, let's read uh, B, God's purpose, Genesis 2, 8 through 9. You know, there's so much here, but I would like to mention that he created us in three parts. 
And then he put us in front of the tree of life, which signified God as our life. So God's intention was for this created man in three parts to receive God as their life. And as, as you know the story, Adam eventually didn't. But here you, we want to see God's purpose. He put us there to eat God, right? And he created us, you know, in Romans 9.21, going back to Adam, first man, we're created as a vessel. So with all this, these, these details, in God's view, he created a corporate man so that we could be filled with God and express God. From the very beginning Genesis, we see this. Just like a glove, you know, like this glove has five fingers. One, two, three, four, five. Just like the hand, right? And can, the, can this glove express my hand? What do I need to do? It needs to go in. This is God's purpose. Sorry, my, my arm is hurting for some reason. This is God's purpose. He wants to come inside of man. That's why we're created in three parts. So that, you know, as we know, you know, the Lord, eventually he, he became a man. He went through death and resurrection. And when we believe in Jesus and repented, what happened? Jesus came inside of us. Just like the glove in the hand. And uh, praise the Lord. And uh, anyway, praise him. And uh, that's why here I have some verses here to show this matter over and over concerning that God's purpose is that he wants to fill us. He doesn't just want to stay in our human spirit. He wants to spread into our mind, emotion, and will. Just like this. This, this still impressed me. This is what God wants to do every day. When we call on him, Lord Jesus, Amen. he wants to come in. Let's uh, read, uh, I'll read, let's read Luke 146. And Mary? Okay, the verse after says in 47, is not here, says, and my spirit has exalted in God my Savior. So exalted means to be extremely joyful. So our spirit is to receive, contain this joy of the Lord. But how is Mary able to magnify that? In 46 says, my soul magnifies the Lord. So why did God create it with a soul life is to express the Lord. Our spirit is to contain the Lord. We receive the Lord, but then he wants to spread the joy into the glove so that the glove can express the joy of the Lord. I don't know how you express joy, but anyway. And uh, let's read the next verse here, Ephesians 3, 17a. Okay, the verse before this, it says, talking about Paul is praying that the Father would strengthen us according to his riches through his spirit into our inner man. Again, it's all in our spirit. In our spirit is where God's spirit is, is strengthening our inner man, which is our human spirit. For what purpose? Why is he strengthening our inner man? Why? 17. That Christ may make his home in your hearts. That's our conscience plus our mind, emotion, and will. 
This should be our best prayer for us to do every day. I prayed ever since I came into church life. I pray that prayer. Lord, make your home in my heart. To see this vision, Lord, make your home in my heart. Means that you want God to come inside of you. Every day. I mean, I, I, even one time my daughter was imitating me when she was really young. Uh, she was, I don't know how old she was, two years or whatever. I don't remember. She was on the sofa and she was rocking. And she had the morning revival, holy word, and she was rocking. And she was saying, oh, Lord, my heart. Lord, come into my heart. And I look at that and it, it, it's not... It's kind of funny, but that's how it be my prayers. If you see this, God's purpose. God created us according to his image and likeness so that we would eat the tree of life. So that Christ can make his home in our hearts. If we pray that way, for sure, at the end of the day, at least you got a drop of God into you. And uh, let's read Romans 5.5a. You know, I have this verse because, okay, God's intention, he wants to come inside of us. We're created like his image. We have human virtues of love, patience, etc. But if God doesn't come inside of us, there's no reality. Our love is limited. Our patience is limited. And this verse shows to you that through the Holy Spirit, what is God doing? He's pouring out his his love. The love of God has been poured out in our hearts Amen. through the Holy Spirit. Amen. So when we exercise our spirit, when we pray in spirit, God's love is being poured out in us. Our human love can be limited, or you might have, think that you have a lot of love, but eventually when your best friend says the wrong thing, what happens to your love? It's gone, or it's, it's, it's going down. And when I was growing up, actually, in my case, I, I particularly had no natural love. I was born with hardly no natural love. Always bothered me. My mom will come home, and she'll serve me a meal late, and I'm there, and I was thinking, man, I should be happy to be with her. But I don't know. There's not a whole lot of love in me. <laughs> What's wrong with me? Or I would, uh, when I work in, an, uh, in a certain office and the person was helping me with the Xerox machine, and she had a baby in her arms, and, and cutie baby, whatever. Well, back then, I didn't think it was cutie. I just look away. No love for the kid. And to make the story short, eventually, I got saved. God came inside of me. Amen. My love for, for people was like nothing. <laughs> Empty, no expression. No expression, just like that, empty. But when God came inside of me, I experienced what 1 John 3, 14 says. We know we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. You know, when I first, the first brother I met was Jose Luis and his wife. They came to the School of Architecture. They sat with me, the fellowship about the Samaritan, I still remember. And when they left, um, actually, at that moment, I was very quiet. There was no smile. He, he thought I was not open. Zero. 
when they were, when they were going away, I felt like, I want to hang out with them. It even shocked me. Where did that come from? And that's why I came to my first meeting of the, of the campus meeting and stuff. But eventually, little by little, I, when, as soon as I got saved, I start liking kids. <laughs> and had, I had an actual genuine interest to talk to people. Before I got saved, I remember, I still remember, just like yesterday, this girl was talking to me, very socializing, whatever. In my heart, I was thinking, you know, why don't you just be quiet? <laughs> Go away from me. I like to be me, myself, and I. I don't need to talk. I'm happy. And, no, I'm not really happy, but you get the point. But, but praise the Lord. When we exercise our spirit, and I began to learn that, Christ moved into me. It's not my natural love, it's Christ's love. Uh, So if you guys feel you're short of love, just exercise your spirit. And this Christ will move into you and be expressed and care for people. Uh, Let's read the other two verses all together, Philippians 2.5 and 2.13. Again, another verse is to emphasize the matter that God's purpose is he wants to spread from our spirit into our soul so that we can express the Lord. It's not just our love, our patience, but it's Christ as our patience. And uh, in, verse, in the last verse of Philippians is not here. It says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Again, Christ is in our spirit. And from our spirit, what is God doing in verse 13? He is operating in you, both the willing. He's moving into our will so that we can choose God, like I'm choosing this bottle. It changes our, uh, our, the value of our, what we appreciate. It changes our view. We begin to care more for God than for our own career, for our own things. And he clearly shows us when we are exercising our spirit, he's moving in. Amen. He's operating in our will. Amen. And even we can have in verse 5 says that this mind being you, which was also in Christ. How can that be possible? That you and I can have the mind of Christ. Where in the verses now here in Ephesians 4.23 says, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. So the more we exercise our spirit, he spreads his element into our mind. And it's spontaneously, we have a different view. It changes. I mean, I remember when I was your age, I, one time I was getting ready to go to school. I was in a sink, and I look at the mirror. Let's say there's a mirror right here. And I, I, I started talking to myself. You know what I mean? I'm not crazy, but I was talking to myself. And I said, why are you wearing that earring? I had a black earring. Is it for God or is it for man? Maybe y'all can give me the answer. No. So my conviction with the Lord, it was for man. I just took it off. I don't even remember where he went. It was a cheap earring, too. Don't think it was a diamond. 
Well, I've been exercising my spirit. I've been reading the word, and spontaneously, my view began to change. And from then on, I began to dress according to God and not to be seen by man. And uh, anyway, so just to clear the, make the point that, praise God. God's purpose, he wants to fill us with himself. That's why I like that song that, what is it? I'm being filled with the trying God. I want to be filled with the trying God. He makes me happy. Anyway, um, yeah, for the sake of time, let's move on to um, C. We're going to now cover the bad news, Adam's failure. Uh, let's read all those. Let's alternate. Let's, the guys read 514 and then the, the sisters, 1 Corinthians 522a, and then alternate. Go. Okay, so as you know the story, Adam never received Christ. He blew it for the entire human race. Did you know that? He blew it for the entire human race. That's what he did in Genesis. Instead of eating God, taking him as his life, he ate of something else. The tree of knowledge of good and evil, which signifies Satan. So that life came inside of man, and his body became the flesh. And here you see verse after verse, right? For just as in Adam, all die. All die. And then in uh, 5.12, therefore just as through one man sin entered into the world, and through sin, because he's the head of the human race, he was passed on to all. And does death pass on to all men? Bad news, right? Through one act of one man, death pass on to all men. Because all have sinned. Even in Psalm 51, 5, David says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. And in sin did my mother conceive me. So when you look at a cutie baby, it's just death. We all inherit death. And 323, what's the conclusion of it all? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Glory means God expressed in the Bible. So now man is, is incapable of expressing God. But man is expressing someone. Many Genesis began to express God's enemy. And uh, instead of expressing God as their life, man is just expressing death. So let's move on to the exciting part, D. Let's read it and read those verses all together. Go. Amen. 
So here we see, praise the Lord, the coming of Christ, the second man. So the first man, we see a total wiped out. He's, he, he's a failure, but Christ came. Amen. The second man came, and in, uh, let me, um, oh, I guess this is working better. God. I don't know if y'all can see that, but so the coming of Christ. Okay, God became a man more than 2,000 years ago. It says the word was with God and the word was God. And then this word became flesh. So Jesus is God and he's a man, 100%. So finally here, which you see in the four gospels, you finally have a man that is expressing all the divine attributes in his, in his human virtues. Isn't that incredible? That's why you read in the four Gospels. Finally, there's a man. There's a man. One man on the earth, finally. Sorry, I get confused which side is this. There's a man that is expressing all the divine attributes through his human virtues. And then in John 1.18, the person of Christ says, no one has ever seen God, and the flies are everywhere. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of, bosom of the Father, he has declared him. Amen. That means expression. This person, uh, this wonderful person of Christ is now expressing God. And uh, let's read one, the divine attributes, and all the verses all together. Go. So you see here, in him it was all the fullness of the Godhead, all the divine attributes. But in particular, I want to pay attention, y'all, on fullness. Fullness does not refer here to the riches of God, but fullness refers to the expression of the riches of God. Christ is the fullness. He is expressing all the divine attributes in him. And uh, so in, the, in, in his human virtues, you know, we only have here under here the four Gospels. Because there's countless examples how God in him is filling his human virtues and he just expressing God. And just to mention a couple uh, of those examples, it's in parentheses. You got the leprous man in Matthew 8. And uh, I think he came to the Lord and asked him, Lord, if you're willing, right, you can heal me. And the reason I have this other verse, Leviticus 13.45, I'll read it. It talks about when a leper has, it says, 13.45, and, and for leper whom the infection is, his clothes shall be torn, and the hair of his head shall be let loose. Can't demonstrate that, I have no hair. And he shall cover his mouth and, and live and cry unclean unclean. So if he's walking in our midst, he's supposed to do that. Unclean. Unclean. So that they'll make a pathway. Nobody wants to get that infection. But when Jesus came, he could have just said, you are clean over there. Did he do that? 
You know, in, in, uh, in John 4.50, that's what he did with the son of the man. Go, your son lives. Remotely. He's healed. But with the leprous man, he, why didn't he do that? It shows his humanity. Instead, he went to him and said, and touched him. I think he said, you're clean, right? You're clean. And then the other example about the widow in Luke 7. Another one, he came into that city. He just came there and he saw this widow, only son had died. And then in verse 13, I have it here. Part of it, it says, when the Lord saw her, he was moved with compassion for her. And he just exercised his resurrecting power and resurrected the son, the, his, her son and gave it back to her. And uh, so anyway, there's a lot of examples in the scriptures. And uh, something here for us to apply to us is that the Lord lives in us and he wants to be lived out of us. This is why we need to eat the Lord. In John 5:57 says, the verse is not here as the living father has sent me and I live because of the father. So he who eats me, he also shall live because of me. So as we eat the Lord, digest the Lord, continuously he wants to be lift out. Again, it goes back to God's purpose. He wants to be lift out. He wants to be expressed through us as our compassion for people. You know, I remember this experience way back when I used to live in Austin. I came home from the campus, and this elderly woman approached me on the driveway. And then I knew she was my neighbor. I've seen her. I knew she was, she looked, maybe she was a widow. She would, a taxi cabs would drop her off on and off. So I knew she lived alone. So she came to me and said, hey, I noticed that when you, uh, instead of raking your leaves, you blow them with a blower. And uh, so I started telling her, she, I wanted to know more information. I told her, well, yeah, you can buy it at Home Depot. It's a blower. And it takes me 10 minutes, and I'm done instead of an hour and a half raking them. It makes the job super easy. And she was all right, all right. And she was listening. And then she can't even walk that well. All right. And she started walking away. And spontaneously, within me, I just felt the feeling, no, you go and blow her leaves. And I immediately got her attention and went over there some other day and blow her leaves. And, she, and I let her know why, because Jesus let me to do so. And uh, anyway, in our experience, praise the Lord. He wants to be lifted out of us. He doesn't just want to stay in our spirit. He wants to spread into our soul as our compassions for people. And um, anyway, let's read three and all the verses together. Oh, maybe y'all should, y'all want to stand up? Hope you wake up from the meal. Maybe the brothers could read John, let's read all together, three and then brothers, John 1, 14, sisters, sisters, John 21, 25. Amen. Thank you. Y'all may sit down. Oh, there's one more. Sorry. <laughs> Sisters, go. John 21, 25. Amen. Thank you. 
So here we see that this wonderful person of Christ is mingled together in perfection and expressing glory. Uh, and glory is God expressed to the point that John said, uh, I suppose that not even the world itself could contain the books written. He was so at all, that the word at all, with how much glory he was expressing through his human virtues. That he said, if all is written, the whole earth couldn't contain all the books. And one thing to point out is that, yeah, did y'all see the glory of God in Jesus, literally? Have y'all seen it? No, we were not there 2,000 years ago. And so that leads to the next point where, um, let's read it, F. Let's read 1 Corinthians 12, 12. So we were not there, and, but he did went through a process, like just a review. He, uh, he accomplished redemption, right? He died for our sins, sin. Um, praise the Lord, he destroyed Satan. Amen. What else? Our old man. Flesh. Then, on the, then he was buried on the third day, he resurrected, right? And then he became the life-giving spirit, and he was enthroned, and then he descended. Just to, and there's a diagram there. And uh, so here in Romans 8, 29, the verse is not here, it says that he's the firstborn among many brothers. And then in 1 Peter 1, 3, the verse is not here. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has regenerated us. So in his resurrection, we're all regenerated. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So now in verse 12, it says what? Christ. Here is the corporate Christ. Right? And... It also includes us all in there. We're the body. We're the many brothers. Aren't you glad you're the many brothers? Man, that fly keeps following me. We're all the many brothers. We're all the many members of his body. And Christ is the corporate Christ. So now when, if you want to see God, where do you go? Huh? You go to the body. You go to the church meetings. To the home meetings. Amen. And uh, anyway, just to show here a few verses in uh, Ephesians 3.21. Let's read that one. I'm skipping a few. To him. To him be the glory. He doesn't list first Christ. Glory in Christ. It says the church. Where do we see this glory now? It's in the church. And then uh, just read John 17, 22, 20, 22 through 23 all together. Go. And the glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you 
Amen. So even to the point that the world can see through our oneness, they can see this glory. And then uh, let's read 1 Corinthians 14, 24, 25. Go. But if all... Isn't that incredible? incredible? That even where, do, how do you see the glory of God among us? It's through our speaking. This unbeliever alone came, and what did he witness? God is among you. Amen. He saw the glory of God. I mean, I remember the first meetings I came, I was blown away. I would just close my eyes and just hear them speak, and I would sense the presence of God. Amen. I mean, that's the reason why I went back. I mean, I was the one that I came to my first meeting on Saturday, and the next day I went to the church meeting. And next week I went to, a, I don't remember, Bible study, went back to the Saturday, went back to the church meeting, on and on. I don't mean to boast, but I just saw God. It was like before I used to go to 6th Street, hang out with old Adam. But when I saw God, I was like, forget 6th Street. <laughs> Actually, I, I have a lot of weaknesses we took years to overcome, and there are some still the Lord is working on me, of course. But the matter of 6th Street, that was over. When I came to my first Saturday meeting, I was thinking 6th Street is over. <laughs> I see God's glory. I don't understand it. They're calling kind of funny, saying, Lord Jesus, I don't get it, but I see God among you. That's why you guys are here tonight, right? You want to see God. And, uh, but practically, like I said, the way we, we express God is through our speaking. And uh, if, if we want to, uh, and so I have here a point that when we speak in the church meeting, we take part in the direct building of the church. Let me repeat that. When we speak in the church meeting, we take part in the direct building of the church. And this is based on this verse in, in 1 Corinthians 14, 4b. Let's all read it. But he who prophesies builds up the church. See, we want to have the direct building. We prophesy. And I remember as a student, I, I didn't finish architecture, but I will always be looking at buildings. I'll be walking on campus and looking at the features of the buildings. And, but this verse, always the Lord would bug me. He would bother me with this verse. Because my disposition was not one that would want to speak. I would be thinking on campus. I'm not much in the direct building. I'm not speaking. But eventually, this is why it's good. We don't force anybody to speak. But as others are speaking, we get stirred up. I want to build the church, little by little. I remember Neil when I was a new one. He said, let's all do this for the building up of the church. And I was like, why would I care? <laughs> but I remember being in one of these conferences. Actually, to my shame, I don't think I ever prophesied at the college conference. I never did. I was always very shy. But 
I got stirred up, though. I remember when groups of young people would stand up and speak something from the song. Again, we'll stand up and declare something of a song. I, I saw what's a building. What we're doing, we're not crazy, we're building. Even if you think you're repeating the same old thing that someone else is doing, you're building. Praise the Lord. We want to take part in the direct building. We need our, to, to speak for the Lord. And prophesying, again, it doesn't mean merely to uh, predict. You speak simply the word of God. And uh, let's, let's move on to the sake of time. And let's read uh, G uh, all together with all the verses there. Go. Okay, so we did see to him be the glory in the church, and that's all over the earth. In all the different localities, we're expressing the Lord. But in this age, it's still limited. It's through our soul life. People may not see it much. You know, if you go and tell a stranger, hey, I'm a son of God, an unbeliever, what is he going to say? You're crazy. You're nuts. But in the millennium age, it will be an open manifestation. And I have a verse here. It's not here. 2 Thessalonians 1.10 says, When he comes, when, when he comes to be glorified in the saints. So in that age, in millennial age, we'll be, we're going to be glorified. And to be marveled at in all those who have believed. So the ones who are not sons of God, they're going to marvel at us. Look, Daniel is the son of God. Amen. In that age, they will know who we are. And uh, I, don't, I don't want to spend too much time here, but let's read 26. Well, we already read it. It says that millennium is for a thousand years. And here in this chapter, mention it seven times. And, uh, and so in 43, the overcoming believers, again, will shine forth like the sun. So the glory today is in the ch church, but that's going to continue in the next age. We're just going to be expressing God even more. Yeah. So eventually in the New Jerusalem, right, it says, And he carried me away in spirit unto great and high mountain, show me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Amen. So ultimately in eternity, there's just glory. In verse 23, there's no need of the sun. It says that. And the city has no need of the sun or of the moon, that they should shine in it. For the glory of God illuminated. During eternity, what are we going to be doing? Just expressing God. No sun, no light from the moon, just God. Okay, let's move on to, uh, we cover the, we just cover one item of who Christ is, the second man. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Let's move on to the, uh, the last Adam, 
That's the 12 item of Christ. And uh, let's read all those verses. Uh, just alternate. Brothers start and sisters continue. Go. Okay, in, in 45 it says, so also it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. And it doesn't say the second Adam. There's a reason for that. It says the last Adam. You know what that means? That means that Adam is over. There's no more Adam. It's over on the cross. He crucified Adam. He crucified the old man. Yeah. All those things that we inherited from Adam is over on the cross. He crucified all those negative things. And uh, so basically in this verse, it goes, I'm going to the life-giving spirit. Well, there's some verses here, like I already mentioned, you know, he destroyed Satan on the cross. But let's move on here on the life-giving spirit. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. So here we see Two creations. The first creation is with man as a living soul, right? The first man, Adam, became a living soul. That's the center and lifeline of the old creation. But then you have the creation of, uh, of the new creation in resurrection. And what is the center and lifeline of the new creation? It's the life-giving spirit. That's the center. That's the lifeline. Life-giving spirit. Amen. So in resurrection, I have LGS. Life-giving spirit. Amen. So on the one hand, Christ is the last Adam. My old man in Christ is over. All the negative things. For what? So that we can enjoy the life-giving spirit. I remember when I was a new believer, I think that was one of my first revelations. I didn't say LGS. I would say the whole thing. That's why I even had a trouble saying LGS. Life-giving spirit. I mean, how can you be, if you see this, it's going to revolutionize. How can you be different going home? You go home, life-giving spirit is not over. Adam is over, but he's there. And he wants to give us life. Yeah. That's the new creation. We're made alive in him. Amen. He went through this process so that we can be made alive. And, um, you know, I have this, uh, I like this hymn here in 593. Um, 
Through my death with Christ from Adam, I am free. Through my life with Christ, new life is given me. And then he keeps repeating, mining not the flesh, old Adam cannot move. Mining just the spirit, life divine I prove. Mining just the spirit is God's saving way. Mining just the spirit, Christ we will display. Again and again, mining just the spirit, we the cross will know. Even how do you apply everything that Christ did for us? It's in the spirit. Romans 8, 13 says, but if by the spirit you put to death the practices of the body. And um, so, you know, this matter about the spirit is not something that we just need to see. We need to practice. We need to experience the life-giving spirit. And uh, this is why we have here a few verses. Let's read John 7, 38 through 39a. Amen. But this is said concerning the Spirit. So these verses are in the context of Christ saying, if anyone thirsts, come to me and drink. And if we drink of the Lord, if we, then it says, out of our innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. And that's the Spirit. So we don't want to just know about the life-giving Spirit. We want to drink the Spirit. You know, like I said, I'll go home. Anyway, and think about the life-giving spirit, and, and sometimes I was overwhelmed. I just couldn't believe. Christ is drinkable. He's the life-giving spirit, and I would just sit down on the carpet and start singing like a broken record. I'm not a good singer. I'm terrible. And that's why I would lock myself in a room so nobody can hear me. But that's one of the ways for us to drink. Be filled in spirit, says in Ephesians. How? By singing. And uh, another way uh, to drink of the Spirit is to call on the name of the Lord. Uh, the verse is not here, but 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says we all, what? We're baptized into one body, and we were all giving what? To drink one Spirit. Yeah. One Spirit, just like that. Drink one Spirit. And in the same chapter, it still blows my mind. In verse 13 says, but whoever says Jesus is Lord, no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So if I say, Lord, if I say Jesus is Lord, where am I? And that means I'm drinking. If we say, Lord Jesus, let's all say, oh, Lord Jesus. Did y'all get a drink? Let's all stand up and say that three times. Oh, Lord Jesus. Oh, Lord Jesus. Oh, Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus. Jesus. Oh, Lord Jesus. Jesus. 
Okay, thank you. Did y'all get a drink? Bible says so. We call, we get a drink. You know, I was telling the brothers earlier, the first time I saw someone calling the Lord, I think it was Jose Luis' wife. No, it was Jose Luis. <laughs> we were in an elevator, and we were going to have our first little Bible study, and he said, Oh, Señor Jesus. He said it in Spanish. I was like, why did he have to open his mouth and say that? <laughs> why couldn't he just think about it? And then I came to my first college meeting, like I said, and everybody was calling. I was like, what is this? I want to get out of here. <laughs> and I looked at Jose Luis thinking, you know, he's not going to do it, but he just went straight on my face. Lord Jesus. <laughs> and why did I stay? Because I realized they're not performing. They have seen that the Lord in resurrection is the life-giving spirit. 24-7, we can call. That's just one way. And be filled with him. That's a new creation. And that's why here in, uh, in, in uh, 19b, I mean, there's so much here. The bountiful supply of the spirit of Jesus Christ. And uh, let's just read 28 together. So you see, Paul was enjoying the, the bountiful supply of the Spirit. And that could be seen by others. Christ was being magnified in him. And that's what blew me away about when people were recalling this. I saw the expression of God. And I decided I better try it out. I went to my apartment. I, I, I locked myself in, in, in the room. And I sat down on my desk. There were no smart, smartphones there. And this is 1993. <laughs> And I just started calling. I don't remember how I did it. But eventually, I end up standing, leaping. You know, my arm just kind of leaping. Lord Jesus. I just couldn't believe it. I just kept calling. Wow. Lord Jesus. Yeah. Started leaping like that, calling. Yeah. You know, and, and, and why? And then uh, because like in Romans 10, 12 says, that the, the, what, what is the same Lord is the Lord of all, and he is rich to all who call. How can we experience this life-giving spirit? We need to call. And I remember turning on the light, and, and you know, don't, don't think I do it that long now, but it was like for an hour and a half. And to me, it was just like 10 minutes. And, uh, but anyway, this is something that I was impressed. The, the, the believers are not pretending. They love the Lord. And now the Lord is living and dwelling. This life-giving spirit is indwelling our spirit. And 2 Timothy 4.22 says, the Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. And um, okay, let's, uh, let's see. I'm lost. What horn am I in? Uh, let, let's go to the Lord of glory and read all the verses all together.
So here we see another item of Christ. Praise the Lord. He's the Lord of glory. That means he's the Lord of expression. And so just a point of application is that we, you know, we want to take Christ not just as our life, but as our Lord in our daily life. If we do so, then we'll have more expression of God in us. If we take the Lord of glory into us, then we'll have more, more expression of him. Now, if we run the red lights, we're not taking the Lord as the Lord. Glory just fades. There's not much there. And I remember, like I said, I was excited. The Lord is a life-giving spirit. I go to the meetings, enjoy the Lord. I mean, I was very quiet at first, but then I go home and exercise. I wouldn't do it in front of others. Just go to my room and exercise, call on the Lord and stuff. And then I go back to my daily living. And I remember, you know, I had a habit. I like to dance in front of people just to take a break from the school of architecture. I have no skills. Don't think I was any dance. I was just a typical student. Just wanted to have fun. And uh, I remember I was doing it. I, I, they started playing reggae, Bob Marley, and started dancing. And then a guy from Greece joined me, and then he started laughing. He laughed. I laughed. And then the joy was gone of the Lord. Before that, I felt the Lord was in me, and then it just faded away. And I remember going to a private room and praying to the Lord, and then I realized the Lord is leading me not to do that. I began to learn to take the Lord of glory. And, uh, you know, another experience, there was this person. We were not boyfriend, girlfriend, but we were very close. Okay, just very close, always together. And again, I would be reading my Bible at home, going to meetings, little by little, and had the joy of the Lord. Then I'd go hang out with her, and the joy was gone. I didn't sense any expression of the Lord in me. It was like, where did the, go, where did the Lord go? I mean, he's always in us. Don't get me wrong. The Lord's always in us. But in my experience, it was like temporary. Where did the Lord go? And it got to the point that I eventually talked to her and said, listen, we, we, you go to the left, I go to the right. We're, we're not being friends anymore. And I still remember that night. I borrowed my, 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 my brother's. Uh, little Nissan Sentra car. Makes a lot of little noise. <laughs> Going to the HEB to get some groceries. And I went through a dark area, and then I remember I was just filled with the glory. It was like my first experience going deeper with the Lord. It was like, what is this? <laughs> After that, you know what was my prayer in my personal time with the Lord? Like, Lord, what else do you want to touch? Take it. Do whatever you want. I remember being in the kitchen praying many nights after a Christian meeting. Lord, take my hands. Take everything. Because I want more joy. I got stirred up. Hey, this is like an addiction. I want more life-giving spirit. And uh, anyway, we all may have your own experience of that. But we need to take Christ, not just as life but as the Lord of glory, because God wants to be expressed through us. And uh, okay, let's move on to the next point and read all the verses together. The depths of God. 
You know, I would like to touch this briefly, that Christ is the death of God. And some people think, well, the deep things could be knowing about the seven heads, the ten horns, explaining that to others, the 70 weeks. Uh, also, there's very deep books like Ephesians, Romans, Galatians, of course, Revelation. Deep things of God, right? But only in 1 Corinthians do we have the last Adam becoming became the life-giving spirit, a life-giving spirit. So what is deeper than that? And this verse, but he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit. If we didn't have this verse, we couldn't say that. We would still think we'll have two spirits. But only in 1 Corinthians says that. He who is joined to the Lord is one spirit. I remember when I saw that, it sort of revolutionized my experience. I remember looking at my hands, man, the two spirits were joined into one. And I began to pray more. And so if we, if we do touch our spirit, and normally when y'all touch your spirit, don't y'all feel revolutionized? What's deeper than that? That the whole triune God is in our spirit. It's nothing deeper than that. Okay, let's move on to the next point, the power of God. And read all the verses there. Go. This verse is very clear. Christ is the power of God. And in 18 says that the word of the cross, to the unbelievers, it's foolishness. But to us, the believers, it is the power of God. So the power of God here is not just Christ, it is the crucified Christ. That's God's power. You know, on the one hand, to God's power to deal with Satan, deal with all those negative things. And in our experience, we can apply this. We need God's power to deal with our temper. Don't you? Does, does anybody here has no problem with your temper? What about a little temper? A little something. You know, when I was a student, I used to think I had no problem with my temper. I would read it sometimes in spiritual books about someone talking about temper or hear testimonies as someone struggling with their temper when they were driving. You know, I remember riding with somebody in the car going to a Christian meeting, and the brother was saying, man, I'm losing my temper. There's a lot of traffic, and I want to punch somebody. And I was, back then I had hair, and I was scratching my head. It's like, whoa, brother, what is this? But listen, when I got married, actually, when I got married, I was still in my honeymoon, and I lost my temper first time. I was on a carnival cruise boat. And me and my wife, my, we were changing words. We were just talking, and I just walked away. I abandoned her there, went back to my room. At all that I do have a temper problem. I've never seen myself like that. I remember telling her, oh, you just stay here. I'm out of here. I'm like, where did that come from? 
And then with children, it even gets worse. It's easy with my wife now, but children, boy. I tell my wife, I have, I have no patience. And, uh, you know, past week, every so often, we're both getting ready. She goes to work. I go to campus to serve. And then every so often, she will call me. It doesn't happen, you know, a lot of times. And she called me, Victor, I was, you, you maintain your cult today when, when, with your daughter. And I was like, well, I was not trying. And when I look back, I was enjoying the life-giving spirit. I was enjoying the power of God. You know, people have this problem of temper, and you may pray, Lord, deal with my temper. It doesn't matter how much you pray. It's not going to work. But if we begin to call on the Lord and enjoy the life-giving spirit, it's spontaneously, there's no problem. There's no temper. It's like with my children, and they're now teenagers. It's like, boy, it could be anything. It could be I... I mean, I remember when they were a kid. I mean, I do the ponytail crooked. They get mad at me. <laughs> or I don't want to redo the, the part. You know, I'm there doing the, the part. You know, the... <laughs> and my daughter wants me to do it just right. <laughs> Daddy, no, you, you messed up. It doesn't matter how well I do it. It's still not as good as mama's. So if I'm not enjoying the Lord, there's not a whole lot of patience there. So anyway, I probably should stop now. And uh, first fruits, I'll leave it that to y'all. Uh, but I should let y'all prophesy, right? And, and share something of the Lord. And I guess the brothers would tell us how to do that. Yeah. Maybe we can pray with our neighbor two by two.